Hello, everyone. Welcome to Look Both Ways. I'm Scott Herms. This show is made possible by Kinnan Carta, a global consultancy who believes in making the world work better for everyone. Each episode of Look Both Ways follows a two-act structure. First, an unsung failure of the past. And second, an unsolved challenge of the present. In our first episode of the season, Act One told the story of Nikola Tesla's Warden Cliff Tower and the visionary inventor's pursuit of wireless energy transmission. Act Two put the spotlight on geothermal energy, a less talked about form of renewable energy with both extraordinary potential and plenty of unanswered questions. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, we highly recommend doing so to gain proper context for what you're about to hear. Because for today's episode, we're actually going to veer from our usual format and bring you a follow-up to the Tesla episode. The section of the original episode devoted to Tesla is about 20 minutes long. (gasps) Tesla was born during a thunderstorm in Croatia, came to the United States, bested Thomas Edison, invented our modern system of electricity, believed he could pump voltage into the ground and air to provide wireless power to the entire world, built a giant tower in New York to prove it, ultimately failed to convince enough rich people to finish the tower, and 100 years later, we mostly know why it would have failed anyway, and Ethan Hawke sang a Tears for Fear song as Nikola Tesla in a tribute to it all. (sighs) The prevailing wisdom is that Tesla's vision was at odds with the laws of physics, that what he wanted to build wouldn't have worked. Then we stumbled on a company from Auckland, New Zealand, who sang, Not so faced. The company is called Emrod, And while there's plenty of differences between their technology and Nikola Tesla's, they hope to help make his vision of wireless energy a reality. We spoke with Greg Kushner, Emrod founder and CEO, to learn more about Emrod, how it all works, how they keep it safe, and why wireless energy transmission is far from science fiction, even as it ventures into outer space. You can't really decarbonize, you can't really go electric if you don't have the infrastructure for it. In talking with Greg, he explained how the energy industry can generally be divided into three categories. First is generation. Development in wind, solar, and geothermal all fall into this bucket. On the other end of the spectrum is consumption, how that electricity is used or stored. In the middle sits transmission, the awkward middle child. How electricity actually travels from a power plant to an outlet in your home, aka the massive network of underground wiring and above-ground power lines that make up the grid. Of the three categories, transmission is probably the one you've thought about the least. Greg says that's because it's barely ever changed. We've moved from horses to nuclear-powered spaceships uh, within uh, 100 years, but we haven't moved at all in the way that we move electricity about. This is where Emrod is focused. In the most basic terms, Emrod's system uses tall antennas to beam energy from one point to another through the air. It can be connecting a new solar farm to the grid. It can be uh, powering a new cell tower or an EV charger. It can be just used as a replacement for line and poles uh, when you're crossing difficult terrain. So really anything between a few yards and many miles is well within the scope of what this technology can do. Improving the transmission side of energy has huge implications on the other two, how it's generated and how it's used. For example, an electric truck delivering disaster relief supplies doesn't need to also haul a giant battery if it's being charged 
all the time through the air. Crazy, right? Here's more from my conversation with Greg. What are some of the challenges that those energy providers face and, and how can you help them overcome them? Our next field deployment, or uh, it might be the next after that, is demonstrating connecting a solar farm uh, belonging to a, just a, a, a company that has nothing to do with the energy generation, but they have a piece of land that they want to monetize, so they want to put in a solar farm. Now, in order to make money, they need to connect that solar farm to the grid. The local line company uh, is not very helpful, um, not going to go into the details of why, but um, they're essentially captive, just like many other uh, you know, sustainable energy entrepreneurs. Yes, they can put in the generation, sometimes it's even cost-effective, uh, but they still need to bring it to where it's going to be consumed. Now, um, we can help facilitate that. We can help uh, bring about or make many, many, many more sustainable energy projects so suddenly viable. One of the use cases that you talked about earlier that, that sort of stuck with me was the idea of, you know, we're certainly seeing uh, storms taking out our energy grid. Uh, and so that reminded me of, uh, I think it was in the, the 70s or the 80s, there was a bad ice storm in Quebec in Canada. And I think it took a month to restore the energy. Is this an area where your technology can, can help out? Does it do well in cold weather? Is ice a problem for um, wireless? transmission? Yes, absolutely. And I think you, you've pointed out uh, one of the most important use cases for this technology, which is disaster relief. One of the applications that we are uh, working on is mobile units. So truck mounted pair of antennas. If you have you know, an unscheduled or, or even unscheduled maintenance in the grid, you can bridge that gap in the grid wirelessly by deploying essentially two trucks with a transmitter and a receiver. So for disaster relief, that's, I think, really crucial. It literally means lives. It's not just convenience. Yeah. So, yeah, so those truck-mounted mobile outage response units are, I think, uh, I hope, would be quite interesting to, to see in the field, and I hope that'll do uh, a lot of good. So remember the three major food groups to the energy pyramid? Generation, transmission, and consumption? MROD's wireless transmission system can help new renewable energy sources get connected to the grid, and it can help relay power to communities when it's lost. What about how it's consumed? Well, this brings us back to the electric truck that never has to stop to charge. Greg explains. In the shipping industry, when those large ships come into port, um, the container ships keep running their, their huge diesel engines, so the, the refrigeration and the electronics keeps working. Now, that's not very efficient or uh, very uh, eco-friendly. So really providing that infrastructure that facilitates going electric across all the industries, I think, is the main contribution of Emirates technology to sustainable energy and indeed to decarbonizing generally. Not everything can carry around heavy batteries. So for example, for a truck or a bus to, uh, or a ship to have these huge batteries that would enable it to store all the energy it needs for the trip, it's, it's a technological challenge. It's also not very ecological because you need, you need to move around a whole lot more mass. 
So the idea is to utilize a wireless powering technology in those cases, rather than having huge batteries. I think uh, thinking of a drone, uh, keeping a drone in the air indefinitely, for example, without requiring charging, uh, will give you some sort of a taste of what is it good for. Being able to do that would open up opportunities like um, drone delivery, for example, or airborne sensor platforms. Right about now, you may be thinking, this sounds incredible, but also incredibly dangerous. Like, we know to stay away from power lines, but now imagine invisible power lines? Greg says, no, that's not how this works. Part of the problem goes back to Greg's point about energy transmission being effectively unchanged for 100 years. Therefore, our only frame of reference is power lines or other wired forms of transmission. MROD's technology works quite differently. Of course, look, it's, it's the most important thing. There's no point in introducing any new technology if that technology is not as safe, if not safer, than the technology it displaces or replaces. So obviously the first thing we had to address is can we make it safe? Can we make it safe enough to make sense to use around people? And I'm happy to report that the answer is yes. It's not too hard to make it safe. Let's talk about that stuff that moves through the air first. It's the same stuff that uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and RFID are made of. So the beam itself is not something from sci-fi. It's not a laser beam that can uh, punch through uh, stuff. It's exactly like a strong Wi-Fi, but unlike Wi-Fi or indeed other communication, it's highly collimated. So there's no energy sort of going everywhere and diverging, it's highly collimated. That sound means there's a term that needs defining. Collimated. When a beam of light or electromagnetic waves is collimated, it simply means all the rays are traveling in parallel, so they spread very little as it travels. It's actually one of the main differences between MROD's technology and Tesla's plan for Wardenclyffe. Again, that was pre-discovery of the atom, so Tesla's system was non-collimated meaning that it would travel in all directions, like a third-grade soccer match, or, or think laser pointer versus a bonfire. MROD's technology is the laser pointer. Okay, now back to Greg. It's a point-to-point system, so naturally it's going to be mounted high, just like high power lines, you know, so well above any passing people or vehicles or having any buildings obstructing it. But in addition to all of those, there is an intrinsic, a built-in safety system. It's comprised of a safety curtain uh, around the main beam. That safety curtain uh, is powered by a low-power laser. And what it means is that if any transient object, say a bird, a kite, I don't know, a low-hovering helicopter, if any such object is about to enter the path of the main beam, that safety curtain is a fail-safe mechanism that would shut down the beam or douse the specific elements in the beam that correlate to the moving object. So, for example, if we have a very large antenna and there's a bird moving through the antenna, through the, the beam, there's no point in switching the whole antenna off. We can switch only the elements that would illuminate the bird and increase the power to the other parts of the beam. The idea is to maintain the safety, but also to reduce the fluctuations in power. And when you started this company, I'm sure you sat down and thought about 
here are the things that could go wrong and here's things I think are going to go wrong. But it, it always is, I always like to hear, you know, what, what was surprising? Like uh, the, whether it was something you thought was going to be hard turned out to be easier or something you thought easier was going to be harder. What's happened for you on that dynamic? Hmm. Very interesting question. So I think the one thing that I probably underestimated is not the technology. I thought the technology is going to be harder. Um, what eventually was harder is actually persuading people that this is not sci-fi, that this <laughs> is happening now. I thought that the tech would be more challenging than the perception of it, but <laughs> apparently I was wrong. So it is rather challenging to make people realize that we're not talking about something that is going to be commercially ready in 30 years' time. This is something that has been tested decades ago, have been demonstrated many times, and is now becoming commercially viable. So I think that that's probably the most challenging thing for us. Hearts and minds, spreading the word. The other thing that, that uh, Tesla had to deal with was funding, right? Just, just like you do. So you're a for-profit company and you're uh, dependent on investors. He had one big investor, JP Morgan, and he kind of struggled, it seems, to, you know, keep the funding flowing by convincing JP Morgan that this is a, a great business case. Now, obviously you have to do that same thing. So how do you balance that? Cause I think one of the things you talked about earlier was like, it's the technology is not as hard as you thought. What's harder is trying to get people to believe. And I assume that also goes to investors or at least maybe investors are more cautious because they, they don't know, they don't know how readily available the technology is. So how, how do you balance those two things? You have a great idea you know that this is, could be world-changing, and yet you're beholden to investors to help you fund this idea. It's a very good question, Scott, and I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. In many cases, the issue has little to do with the actual technology. It's uh, when the technology meets the real world. So, unfortunately, the technology has changed a lot, but the commercial reality of the energy market didn't change much since Tesla's days. It's still a business. It still needs to make sense economically to someone. So, the way we balance it is we're not just developing the technology. We're developing it towards specific needs to solve specific problems. I think one of the interesting differences that we've noticed recently is the ability to approach the crowd, the retail investors rather than relying on a single investor or a small number of institutional investors. I think that the whole notion of investing in companies and certainly in tech companies in Tesla days was really quite new, was really exotic. Almost none of the people could actively invest in a tech company. Nowadays, I think our work or Emerald's work is much easier. It's still a challenge, but it's much much easier. For example, we've been uh, we're just finishing a crowdfunding round, and I don't think that not Tesla and certainly not entrepreneurs 20 years ago could have done that. So yeah, I guess it's a perfect time for it now. We are close to finishing actually a funding round, but there's still some room available. We are running a crowdfunding campaign on Republic. So that's republic.co. Not too hard to find us there because we're probably one of the companies with the, the best traction in terms of investments. So um, we're, we're you know, featured so quite prominently there. The tech is certainly different from what Tesla was building, which you'll hear Greg explain. But in terms of transforming how the world can access energy, it's just as ambitious. We asked Greg about how he sees his work in context of Tesla. 
Tesla was a giant, giant visionary. I mean, if uh, he thought about wireless uh, energy when people didn't even understand the structure of the atom, let alone all the rest that came after that. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it is mind-boggling when you think of the leap of imagination that he had to take. So while Tesla is a huge inspiration to us. The main difference in technology was that the, the characteristics of what Tesla was doing is just not commercially viable. And it's not commercially viable because the technology does not allow for a safe, efficient, long-distance energy transmission. I think the key when you're developing a technology is to understand the context of that technology. How does that fit into the world? How does that fit into the commercial and other interests of the, the stakeholders? So I think that, that's the main difference, uh, both in technology and in mindset between what Emerald is doing now and what Tesla was doing 110 years ago. The important thing to remember is that it's an enabling technology. And I've mentioned the internet before that, and it's the same sort of thing. It enables a whole range of new use cases, new functionality that uh, we didn't see before. A good way to think about it would be to think communication. What did uh, going wireless do to communication? Right, I mean, laptops, mobile phones. It completely changed the way we consume information. And we think that this is the sort of disruption, the sort of thing that going wireless would do to energy as well. Look, I've, I've mentioned many use cases, right? But those are only the ones that we can see now. We have limited imagination. And I bet you that those very smart people who developed the internet for DARPA did not think social media. They did not understand how impactful that technology is going to be, not just on communication, but on the social fabric, indeed. So what's interesting for us and what excites me most is hey, in five, ten years' time, I'll be able to see some of those interesting applications that we can't even imagine now. What will it be used for? You know, Would it be used for uh, going into space cheaply? Or would it be used for something that you know, we can't even imagine because we don't have the context yet? So I think planting the seed in people's minds and tickling their imagination, I think, is something that we would really love to do and love to hear from people about... Hey, how can you how do you think you will be able to use this technology in the future? We've grown so accustomed to every self-proclaimed thought leader offering up ironclad, clear predictions of what the future will be like. So I found it particularly refreshing to hear the CEO of a tech startup talk about being excited about the things he can't see coming. Will we one day look back and see our hardwired world as a strange relic of the past, like landlines, floppy disks, and pants? Will we wonder why for decades, as our world went wireless in many ways, our ability to move and store energy was seemingly stuck in time? If we do, we'll have people like Greg and Emrod to thank. You can learn more about Emrod at their website, emrod.energy. That's E-M-R-O-D dot energy. If you're interested in becoming an investor, you can visit republic.co and look for Emrod. This episode was produced by Max Parcell with sound engineering by Chris Mitchell. Thank you again, Greg Kushner, for talking with us. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes and follow us on Instagram for additional info about each episode. If you like this episode, feel free to give us a five-star rating on the podcast transmitter of your choice. I can use all the help I can get for my upcoming end-of-the-year review. 
You can let us know what you thought of the podcast by going to lookbothways.kinandcarta.com. That's K-I-N-A-N-D-C-A-R-T-A.com. And leaving us a note. Or, if you prefer, etch your thoughts into the surface of the moon using a laser. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>